Hello, welcome to the Just Bloody Post-It podcast. It's for anyone seeking inspiration for how to share their stuff more boldly, more effectively online. It's stories of people who've learned to promote themselves in their own way and a gentle kick up the bum from a friend so that you can get better results from all the time you spend creating or worrying about content. I'm Helen Perry and you can usually find me hanging about on Instagram, but I am loving this podcast thing. Huge thanks for listening. It's still very new. This is just episode four. I need to earn my stripes. Our guest can truly call herself a podcaster. She's created 220 odd episodes of her show, The Baggage Reclaim Sessions. I hope you're ready for a juicy episode with the truth teller, writer, relationships guide, emotional baggage handler and artist Natalie Liu. It's that experimentation, giving yourself the freedom to experiment and not have to get an A++++ every single time you do something. Makes you shudder inside at the thought of it. But I tell you, if you're waiting for stuff to be perfect before it can happen, or if you're thinking you're going to know exactly what it's going to be like at the outset, you're never going to do anything or you'll, you'll give up before things have really, you know, taken root. Nat's been creating, sharing and running a digital business for more than 15 years. She has a thing or two to teach us a self-confessed recovering perfectionist and overthinker we chat about how much of yourself you have to give offer up in order to have a successful online profile about seeking permission from absolutely no one to do the things we want and about who to listen to when it comes to social media strategy yikes Natalie, welcome. Thank you. Oh, thank you for having me, Helen. I'm a little bit starstruck because you've been walking the walk on this stuff, Nat, the kind of thing that I do that so many people want to do now, running courses, having an online audience that you've maintained over many years, podcasting, writing books, all the things. So I'm really thrilled to have you. Thank you so much. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure to be on. How did you become the person who talks about these difficult kind of things on the internet, the kind of stuff that other people don't want to put out there, are ashamed of talking about. How did it start? Um, Well, I always say it started with a bad date. In a few weeks' time, I will have been blogging for 17 years. And I had read an article in, I think it was in The Observer, in April 2004, I think it was. And it was like about the emergence of blogging. And I I remember clipping it and I actually still have it somewhere. And then going on this dodgy date with a guy who was like, oh my God, like he's perfect. This is what my friend was saying. And I would marry him if I wasn't married already. And it was not a great date. And I remember coming home thinking to myself, why do I say that I want to be with a nice guy? And then when I go out with one, I'm bored, senseless. And I was lying awake with a dodgy stomach, uh, thanks to the cheap date that he'd taken me on. And (laughs) it suddenly popped into my head about blogging. And I I dug out the article. And 10 minutes later, I had a blog on Blogspot, as you did tend to do back in the day. I think I started that in the early hours of a Sunday. And by Tuesday, I had readers. And it it, it sort of grew from there. In order to be the person who does what I do today, a big chunk of that has clearly come from the experiences that I have have been through 
And growing up, I guess, in a culture of yeah, shame and and secrecy and people pleasing and all of these things, through having that personal blog a year into it when I was very ill. And I remember also going at the, at the same time going through yet another breakup with a man who realized he wasn't ready for a relationship a few months into it. I remember talking out loud about this stuff because that's what I had done. From the outset, I just decided I was, I, I didn't have a photo of myself because I obviously referenced my Irish upbringing. They assumed that I was very typically Irish looking. So white, pale, red hair. That's the you know vision that people had. Uh, they didn't realize I was black. Um, but I just decided that I was just going to write with my authentic voice. There was a lot of Jesus and hilarious and all these these things. And I digress is another one of my known known phrases. And then I spoke out loud about it and people were going, uh, you're talking about me. And I was going, hmm, this is a bit weird because I always thought that this is the stuff that makes me a weirdo and unlovable. But all of these people are saying that I'm talking about them. And that really sowed the seeds for then starting Baggage Reclaim a month later in September 2005, realizing I want to talk about this stuff, the stuff that uh, makes you carry a lot of shame around. You think you're a weirdo and unlovable and you've got to settle for less. And there's a lot of people who feel exactly like I do. We have different experiences and often sometimes have a lot of the same experiences, but we think we're weird. We think we're unique in the sense of, oh my God, nobody else is going through this. And so I wanted to give a voice to all the stuff that we don't talk about. Also, you know, we've lived in a, in a time, we've gone through, a, you know, our decades here on earth thinking that the world work, works in a particular way because we've been told you must do this and you have to be this. And I really just want to like put a whole like sledgehammer through that and challenge like the status quo. So it started off as a personal blog and then it became the Reclaim Sessions, which is your podcast yeah so yeah personal blog and then I, st I started baggage reclaim you know it was a we just called it a blog back then I suppose now we just called it a website but um, I started baggage reclaim in September 2005 the baggage reclaim sessions podcast I started I think uh, 2015 so going back to finding out discovering oh my goodness I'm not unique <laughs> there are <laughs> you know like we all need to realize there are you know if you're feeling something someone else is feeling it too mm. and you set out with no uh, plan to turn this into you know you talking to a big audience of people when did you start to think wow this is this is really something how how were the numbers looking on your website and your blog posts and what was interesting is actually, as I said, with a personal blog, within a few days, I had readers because you could literally start a blog then and it would be that way. But I, I, by the time I was sort of outed as as being, um, you know, the blogger that I was, I think it was in the Daily Express. That was like February 2006. I think I had like 10,000 readers a month um, on my then personal blog. At the high point when I was like, blogging loads and, you know, comments were a thing. It got up to like 300,000 unique users, you know, a month. You got you got in at a great moment. Um, yeah. When did you start to think that your mission to help people by sharing what you'd learned could be something more than a passion project and that you could turn it into a business to support your work? And how did that start to, to mm. manifest itself? That's a great question, actually. That was, I'd say it was when I was on maternity leave with my eldest. So that was uh, 2007. Um, 
And what was interesting <laughs> is about a month before I had my eldest, I started another blog called Bambino Goodies, which really became one of the um, biggest kids sort of lifestyle blogs in the in the country. And I started it because I was just sharing items that I had purchased because, you know, baby stuff used to be really bland. And I was looking for sort of the design led stuff. I was looking for you know, color and pattern. And next thing you know, again, it's like thousands of, you know, unique uses of money because that people were really dialed into what I was doing. And it was at that point, alongside people going, I would love it if you put this into a book. And so when I was on maternity leave, and then I went back for four days and realized just how rubbish I was being treated. I was like, Do you know what, I'll go back on maternity leave, I will start you know, playing around with, you know, doing this full time. And a month later, I had um, published and sold my first ebook. But back then there was this, like people would start blogs and two weeks later they would get, oh, hey, book deal. That never happened to me. I, ha I was approached by an agent, I think at one point, but that didn't happen. But I thought to myself, well, do you know what? Like, I'm not into the whole waiting around for somebody to tell you, oh, yes, permission. So, um... I was hearing a lot about how you could self-publish. And I quite liked the idea of not just the control, but actually the money. Um, so I thought, okay, I will um, write this ebook. It was like part one of what became my first book, Mr. Unavailable and the Fallback Girl. It was going like gambusters. I kept hearing, if you sell like 5,000 or 8,000 then of your book, you know, that's when you're really, really attractive to publishers. Uh, I've sold a hell of a lot more uh, than that of my books. I mean, in total, um, just of the four main books, I think it's like 100 and, I don't know, 40,000 or something like that. Plus, I've got all the other sort of mini books and stuff that I've had in. But the number just never kind of seemed to be enough um, here at publishers. But, you know, I can't, I was making more money than a lot of my friends who had gone and done deals and they were getting like 10p a book type of thing. Oh man, if people take one thing away from listening to this, I would love it to be, don't wait for somebody to tell you that what you're doing is good enough. Like do not sit around waiting for somebody else's approval, permission to do the thing that you want to do or put it out there. Mm. Nobody, else need, nobody else needs to decide that what you create or do is the right thing at the right time. You can do it yourself. Uh, yeah, 100%. I do think as well, I think if you are of a particular age group, like I would say sort of late 30s and above, we are in the generations where it's like there is a path, there is a ladder, there is the way. Um, and so it's all about gatekeepers, like somebody gives you a job and you fit into that box of that or, OK, so you can blog, but, you know, it's like, oh, it's a bit poo poo. Like what really what you're wanting is somebody to come along and give you the deal and make you legitimate and credible. So there's a lot of, you know, all of this stuff. Right? And it's like, oh, well, you, it's like all about ladders and paths. And even when there isn't like, how could there possibly be a path or a ladder, for instance, for blogging or for, for having an online business when these things didn't even exist? Like, but here we are, people love making like ladders and paths. And then 
we then start talking ourselves out of doing this stuff because then it becomes, well, I don't have enough numbers or, you know, I haven't been blogging for long enough or I haven't done this or I have to do this first before I can do that. Or it all becomes about like, okay, well, I'll do this, but I need to have a publisher come along and tell me that I'm credible or get some big deal at something. And that will get in the way of you actually doing what you set out to do and also getting, you know, in, you know, creating joy from what you're doing as well. Going back to what you talk about and write about in your books, on your podcasts, in your blogs, is there anything when it comes to relationships that's off limits for you in terms of what you'll share? Or are you just comfortable with putting it all out there? <laughs> the funny thing <laughs> is, um, whenever people um, meet me in person or or they'll send me like sort of a, like a detailed DM or something like that. They'll, I always hear, I feel like I know you like so well. They, they ask about my dog or my husband or the kids. The funny thing is, is I'm probably only sharing about five to 10% of my life. And I, I, I really want to stress this because I think that people often think that you have to lay yourself bare. And the thing is, I would be doing myself a disservice if, I did that because I wouldn't be being boundaried um, with myself um, about what I was doing. And, and there's ways to tell stories and to share information and to teach people without having to, you know, have an open book of your life. What I'm always talking about really are the dynamics of relationships and what's behind a lot of what we do as humans and using stories and, you know, funny analogies and all sorts to kind of convey those messages and obviously sharing practical tips and tools. I don't use my family. So like my husband, children, that type of thing, like I reference them in my work. Um, but I'm, I'm never kind of like, you know, sort of laying our private lives, um, bare because that's, you know, they have their own lives. They haven't chosen to do what I'm doing, but there's a way to talk about, your life in a boundaried way using, you know, uh, you know, those elements of story, sharing the, the learning from it rather than that you don't have to go into all the ins and outs. I'm very down for like talking about emotional baggage. So that, that actually takes you into a lot of places for a conversation. What would you say to somebody who is like, this is a thing I want to talk about and people aren't talking about it, but can I like, dare I, do I put it out there? How do you start? How do you take those first steps? So often when we feel called to broach into an area like that, it's because we need to be seen. Like, that's how we are um, as humans. And the, what can happen is, that, you know, some people who are banging their, their drum the loudest, you know, they get to be heard. And other topics that actually do need to be talked about need to be talked about get drowned out and actually I have a close friend who was in exactly the position that you were describing and she has the Instagram account now menopause whilst black and she started that like last year it was probably around June uh June time you know and black lives matter you know that you know and, and and the and the protests were kicking off and she was asking those same questions and it's like yeah because obviously if you're thinking about these things and 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 you're not seeing it anywhere somebody needs to 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 be saying more like and even if there's there are a few people there's always room for more like what can you add into the mix and the fact that it's not being talked about doesn't mean that it is irrelevant something i think that has been a huge boon to my work is that 
I talk about the things that aren't being talked about. So I give a, a word or a voice to something that we think is in our imagination, that we think is a problem that nobody else is going through. And so if you have something on your mind and you're thinking, oh, I don't know if I can talk about that because nobody's talking about that. Uh, mate, you have got an audience right there because there are other people who want to hear about that. There truly are. And there's so much space for, uh, so much space to be taken up by female voices, black voices. Mm -hmm. I mean, there is just, there doesn't need to just be one person that speaks on any issue. Like, you know, there, there is so much room. There's room for your take on it, whatever that might be. Yeah, I think that there is this sort of sense. And I think, again, it goes back to our conditioning. We imagine that we have to be the biggest and the best and that we have to have like all the audience. And I know Seth Godin talks a lot about, wasn't it, it's the smallest viable audience or something like that? Like you can do a lot um, with that. And again, when I think of my friend, like she's only started that account last year. It's not a massive account, but the amount of press that she's got from it, because it's so specific and talking about specific issues. And she's She's not trying to cater to everybody. And, and I think sometimes when we're worried about, oh, can I talk about this? It's because we think we're supposed to appeal to everybody. We're not. There are some people who probably look at my stuff and they go, like, why is she talking? Good luck. Please roll on, you know, find somebody else who's in your thing. I think, again, with online, there is this sort of sense of, oh, um, there can only be the big people you know, talking about stuff. And then maybe if you get in there and you start talking about stuff and you see other people talking about that subject, you start to feel threatened. That, I, you know, I've had my moments of that in, in the early years because you go, like when I started Bambino Goodies, there were hardly any kids' blogs around. There was me and, and baby Chino. Next thing you know, like, as they call it, mommy blogging took off. And you go, oh my gosh, like this is the death of it. And it's like, no, actually, it really wasn't at all. So we we have to keep that sense of perspective and think about, who do we want to talk to? You know, what is the message that we want to convey? What are we trying to do? I think if we think about that more so than will everybody like me? Is it okay for me to do it? We'll actually crack on, even though we also might feel scared at the same time. Crack on. How's your relationship with social media now? I mean, Instagram was not a thing when you started out. <laughs> you like you're saying it was all in the comments on your blog posts. Do you, how do you feel about Instagram specifically? I had an up-down relationship with Instagram, which really pushed the buttons of my inner perfectionist and um, pleaser. And so I found that I was be overthinking the whole thing I post on Instagram. There's a lot of people who have had, I guess, what you consider like a level of success on there. So they have a lot of followers or whichever. And then they go, oh, this is the capital W way to do things. So you got to take, you know, this type of photos, you know, photos of this, photos of that, or you got to say this, you got to say that. Mate, you're making it up. <laughs> like you're literally, like you're making it up. It's sure you can suggest some best practices, but a lot of this stuff is pure luck you know, more so than anything else. Let's just, you know, let's be real here. And I wish people would stop packaging luck as, oh, this was a strategy. No, it wasn't. It was luck. You were in at the right time. Even I'm like, okay, like I've done a lot of work with baggage reclaim, but I started my blog. I started baggage reclaim in 2005. I benefit from having started like way back then, right? But let's not peddle this whole thing of like, oh, like I'm like massive on Instagram because I had a strategy. You didn't, like there's a lot of luck, you know, in there. Uh, especially if you're getting featured on, you know, the Explorer page or whatever it is, like a lot of that is luck, you know, unless you're, you know, in somebody's pocket. And then that's another thing altogether. And so I really struggled with it sort of a couple of years ago. 
I pushed myself into the zone of the perfectionism, the people pleasing, that's not me. And I wanted to give myself the freedom just to post what the hell I want to post on Instagram and see how I go then. And it wasn't about, oh, does I have like a ton of likes? And what was interesting is once I gave myself the freedom to do that and, you know, I was posting like, that's when I started posting some of my sort of artwork quotes and... Um, oh, I love them, Nat. You're, if you're not following Nat at Nat Lou, I hope you will be in the next five minutes. Nat, you post like, I would call them like little love notes almost that yeah, you share yeah. on your Instagram. You can describe them better probably. Yeah, and they're, and they're a mix of like watercolour and, you know, watercolour or acrylics with, you know, my thoughts and stuff, you know, in my handwriting. And, and I've also I've also done some embroidered pieces of it as well. I wanted just to have fun with it. I, I say what I want to say, you know, I'll, I'll have a dance on there. This is before there was any TikTok or that sort of carry on what was interesting is when I started just doing what I wanted to do and uh, you know was relatively consistent at it my Instagram just like grew it was like it was it was really really not bizarre but I was like oh okay I remember talking about this and I think you referenced this as well I talked about this at at Janet Murray's uh, 2020 sorted event because it was this whole thing of I just really leaned into the things that make me me and doing things in that way doing things that yeah like other people post quotes and all sorts of stuff I was just doing it in my way because then I feel happy with what I've posted and what's interesting is that sometimes I'll post stuff on Instagram Especially like I remember posting something that basically referenced um, an ebook that I have. Now that had a lower number of likes on it because I'm sure you've noticed the same thing that if you post, I don't know, something that's relatively promotional, you'll get like a lower number of likes. But I, but you it, might sell some stuff. It, it, and that's exactly that's <laughs> yeah. exactly what happened. You know. And so now, like I'm very I don't put a, I don't put any pressure on myself to be on Instagram every day. I'll go through phases where I'll post a few times a week and then sometimes I take a break from it. If I feel drained, like sometimes, like June, when there was a lot of the whole black squares and so many conversations about race, I felt very, very, just a general feeling of drained and I was not on Instagram much then. I've periodically taken breaks. I don't feel the need to make announcements about it. You know, there's just no need for that. I feel like you need to find your sweet spot with your relationship with Instagram. It will require you to go out of your comfort zone sometimes uh, because otherwise you won't kind of stretch yourself into those places. You'll second guess what you can post on there. Um, Like last week, I posted a video on there about, uh, you know, a course that I've got, you know, coming up soon. That's quite out of my comfort zone because I've noticed I'm very like, oh, I'll post like inspirational, educational, like funny stuff, but I won't necessarily be like, oh, let me post something that is salesy. And I was like, no, like Natalie, like you need to talk about your course, like big woohoo, like get over yourself, like post the thing. It's fine. Like I'm still alive. You know, this is the thing I remind myself, like, because it does sometimes feel the panic you feel about posting this stuff online, about Instagram. You, you're like, it, it gets, you know, out of proportion. The boundaries thing is really important for me with social media, which is I will respond to DMs, but I respond when I feel like responding. I am now sort of as well really getting to that. I'm really would be doing myself and you a disservice if I even tried to suggest that I could solve your life in a in a one paragraph DM over Instagram you know because like in the nature of what I do there's all these people like ask me oh I just need your advice mate 
And I'm in no way comparing myself to Oprah, but you ain't getting in Oprah's DMs asking her she can give you some flipping personal advice. Why are you coming to me looking for like, pick my, oh, can I pick your brain? Like, oh, you're flipping cards. So it's just that boundaries thing. And of course, there might be some people who might feel a way about it, but it's like, nah. But I, I don't put myself under pressure to be, everybody was doing lives. I'm like, oh my God. Do you remember when everybody was doing lives like every two flipping minutes at the start of the <laughs> I pandemic? Like, do you know what? I still think it's, I still think it's there. My little <laughs> live circles are on fire all the time. But yeah, but it does. Why does it create this sense of panic? Like, oh God, I'm missing the boat. I'm not live. I don't know. But why? What's happening there? I mean, you know, you talk about people pleasing. You talk about our deep need to be liked and approved of. And, you know, Instagram and all the social apps are kind of set up to, you know, set those buttons off all over the place. So it's like you have to take a step back and take a breath and go like hang on a minute do I need to do this yeah or or actually does it not matter very much well and this is the whole thing like there's one thing that I've learned over the last four years in particular because my my father passed away just over four years ago when I took it forced me to well you, you take time off in the immediacy of it and then I you know you go back and I didn't fit back into my old life and I ended up taking quite a bit of time off. I stopped the podcast really for the best part of a year. There's, and do you know what? I never felt more joyful. Over these last four years, I feel like I've really connected with the joy of, of what I'm doing. Like I've always enjoyed what I do, but I found that I was doing, a lot of us are performing at being a good worker or a good business owner or a really successful person rather than actually being ourselves. And so rather than asking ourselves, okay, I know I'm going to have to like get a bit out of my comfort zone, but like, how do I want to interact with this thing? Like, you know, how visible do I want to be? Like, what type of message do I want to convey? It's like, oh, well, successful people have morning routines. Successful people post on Instagram like three times a day. I have to post these stories. I have to be in my DMs all the time. I have to do this live. But that's not, that's not an authentic, you know, conscious loving choice to go and do that because you're going to burn out. There are times when, of course, we're going to have busy periods and, you know, but if all the time we're always doing stuff because we're keeping up with the Joneses, right? We end up in this more hate-hate, not love-hate relationship with Instagram. I love it, Nat. People, because of what I do, I help people with their social media. I help people find their... (sighs) comfort with putting themselves out there I suppose Mm. but very very often what they're looking for from me is a way a way of doing it can you please tell me the script I will follow it I will get success thank you very much and the difficult the difficult answer always is is there you know is that what you say about finding your way that is actually going to be the best way and that's going to bring you your best kind of success yeah like listen listen to the podcasts and the blogs and take the course but but the thing is and I see this across everything you know when people come to me same thing what they'd love is for me to give them a relationship in a box or for me to go here's the blueprint do this do this do this do this do this and you'll end up here and believe me I've had I've definitely particularly when it comes to work I've definitely had that same thing of oh my god somebody just tell me what to do right the thing is You have to, yeah, have a go at this stuff. And at the same time, you have to listen for what's authentic to you in the sense of 
there's a lot of the formula, the way it's like, oh, write this copy. You know, there's, you know, is it, isn't it product launch formula that says fear, gain, logic, you know, you have the sequence of emails. That's not me. Some people can do that stuff, but actually what you want to do is get the underlying principles of what it is that you are trying to do. And then it's like, you have to put your personal stamp on it. Like if you've got to send an email telling people, for instance, that your course is open or you've got to post something on Instagram that's telling them about your new products or whatever. Yes, do that because that's an important part of growing your business. And if you don't talk about this stuff, next thing you know, you're crying into your pillow going, oh my God, like nobody's buying my stuff. Why doesn't anybody like my stuff? I've listened, I've had my moments. Well, of course, nobody flipping knows about it because you don't bloody well post about it. Like he didn't tell anybody. If you think like one mentioned, and, I, and I'm telling you the same things that I've said to myself, if you think that one cursory mention on Instagram stories or posting one thing on Instagram or tagging it in on the end of the email newsletter, that that's going to have like them going like gangbusters, it is not like you have to basically talk about your stuff and post about your stuff more than you are comfortable. That doesn't mean that you have to exhaust yourself. It doesn't mean you have to bust up your boundaries, but it does mean, hey, do you know what? Some of that resistance you feel around like posting, that's like your fear trying to protect you. Like it thinks that you're in this mortal danger. No, you just have to post something on Instagram. It really isn't that big. And the thing is, is that you don't get to reach at your at, the, the, at your goals and, and, and to connect with your audience if you don't post on there. If, if you don't send the email newsletter, if you don't post the blog or record the podcast or whatever it is, like sometimes we want the results <laughs> without necessarily... Without yeah. doing the work. Yeah. Oh man, you know, that's that's a common condition. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, you know, can you can I just like, can I just like go around the side of the hard work yeah. and the awkward and, stuff and get to the end? Uh, and I, I would, for, for, for putting yourself out there with social media, and I say this as somebody, I've definitely had like visibility issues. It's so easy to compare yourself to others and be like, oh, well, I've got to post this. And what if I don't get likes on this? And oh, they post it and all their grid is all aesthetic and organized, whatever. And it's like, that's just fear. And a bit of shame, actually, you know, in that. And I've had to really sort of dig into myself and say, actually, you know what? Take a step, any step, however imperfect it might be, and take it again and again and do it for long enough that you have some data. Please, like, don't yes, do yes, that. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Please don't do <laughs> that thing. To. Like, And I say this, the same advice I give for social media is the same as what I give for boundaries. If you think that you can set a boundary once and then you're done for all time or that everybody's going to be like, oh my God, like, thank you so much for setting this boundary. I just had no idea, right? And then like, you just never have to say anything again. Good flipping luck with that. And with social media, if you think that you're just going to post once and then it's like, oh, well, everything will just come together with this one post. And then it, like you don't get the immediate results that you want from that. So it's like, oh, well, I won't bother again. Listen, post for a good stretch of time so that you have the data. Don't base it all off one or two or a few posts. Post for a while. Pay attention, see what's, see what's working and then tweak and refine as you go. And that's how you find your way. Like you're not going to find your way immediately. The best example I have of this is I've now done 224 or started 224, 225 podcast episodes. And when I first started the podcast, it had five segments. 
right? Because, you know, I my husband had suggested doing this podcast and I hadn't listened really to many and I checked out a couple. It's like, okay, segments, right? Here, I've got five. I've enjoyed making every single episode of the podcast, but guess what? It took making 80 episodes to discover that I wanted to talk about just one thing in the episode. And I did not get to the point of discovering that without making the previous 80 episodes. And granted, I stumbled into that because my father had passed away and I just did not have the energy to talk about five different things and produce five different segments. But I was like, oh, I'll just talk about one thing. And then I did it again. And so again, it's that experimentation, giving yourself the freedom to experiment and not have to get an A++++ every single time you do something. And like put it out there when it's imperfect, like B minus work can do a hell of a lot of stuff, makes you shudder inside at the thought of it. But I tell you, if you're waiting for stuff to be perfect before it can happen, or if you're thinking you're going to know exactly what it's going to be like at the outset, you're never going to do anything or you'll, you'll give up before things have really, you know, taken root. And like this year, the next thing I experimented with is doing podcasts at like uh, trying to aim to be around 30 minutes. That's, but that's, but it's taken making 200 or so podcasts to come around that. And it's been great doing that experimentation and collecting the data and listening to yourself. Well, do you know what? Like I'm booking onto your social media course. I'm buying your social media book. I mean, you just like that. You've just (laughs) totally put me out of a job. You're absolutely, I just, I couldn't agree more with everything you say. Tell us a little bit before we go about something that sounds super interesting to me, your Reclaim Your Work Boundaries course. So we've reclaimed all our Instagram boundaries. How do we now like start to reclaim our work boundaries? What's this about and who's it for well you know it's for it's not just for employees it's really for you know freelancers and business owners as well really if you are somebody who says yes when maybe you needed to or should have said no if you say yes without considering the impact of doing so so the consequences and the meaning if you grapple with anxiety overwhelm frustration resentment uh you know exhaustion Uh, feeling guilty and yeah sometimes maybe experiencing burnout or other stress-related illness you may not have actually realized that the solution to all of these is boundaries they're all symptoms of lost boundaries somewhere along the way and so I've created Reclaim Your Work Boundaries because we've always needed work boundaries, but by gosh, after a year of the pandemic we most definitely do And, and it's really about Rather than waiting until you're in a crisis, you know, exhaustion, having a meltdown, when you're steaming over with resentment or you're trapped in a in a bad situation, it's how to recognize stuff at a much earlier point so that you can take care of you. And also, like, how can you, like, design your workday or how you're working in a way that actually supports your emotional, mental, physical, and spiritual well-being, rather than constantly sort of going against yourself through the way that you're working. So as much as it can be about like other people getting on your last nerve, it's also about like, what are you doing in your work life that is actually not in your best interest? Like me, as a recovering people pleaser, perfectionist, overthinker, I am speaking from that place of know of knowing what it's like to have to be like, oh my God, like I'm the worst boss I ever had. I've 
come out the other side of that because I figured out the work boundaries. And so I wanted to give people the tools and, you know, the the practices that can dramatically shift your relationship with work, like very, very quickly. Natalie, helping people since 2005. Thank you so much for your time. Oh, thank you so much, Helen. It's been a real pleasure to talk to you today. I spent a lot of that conversation wildly nodding my head in agreement with Nat. It's often not what we want to hear, but there is no one way. There is no right way of promoting or growing your business. People will try and tell you that there is or sell you that one winning strategy, but I think it's bogus. You have to find your right way. And that happens when you try stuff and find out what sticks. You develop a thick skin and immunity to the mistakes, I think. Who cares? People have barely noticed. And when something doesn't work, you've learned a lesson. I'm off to consider my non-existent work boundaries now. A favour before we go, my absolute favourite number one people are the ones who leave ratings and reviews about this show. It really matters because it's how other folks can find it. Thank you for listening. Go and check out the other episodes too. They're awesome, if I do say so myself. And I'll see you next time. <laughs>